Welcome to the Bully Pulpit from the University of Southern California Center for the Political Future. Our podcast brings together America's top politicians, journalists, academics, and strategists from across the political spectrum for discussions on hot-button issues where we respect each other and respect the truth. We hope you enjoy these conversations. Oh, well, welcome, folks. We appreciate you all joining us here today for this special event. Uh, I have a few words I'm going to say at the very beginning, and then we're going to get the show started. I wanted to let some of you know, a lot of you know this already, uh, but some of us are learning this, that uh, people of Hispanic origin are the country's largest ethnic and racial group. And in Los Angeles County, it is the largest ethnic group. It's about 48% of the population, roughly half of L.A. County is of Hispanic or, or Latino origin. And Los Angeles County has the largest Hispanic population of any county in the entire country. So this is a very special place for this event to be happening. Now, we're very proud to play a role, small role anyways, in honoring the Hispanic heritage this month. And the event today is called Hispanics in the White House from the Secret Service to the First Lady's Office. We have some really amazing speakers for you here today and a very esteemed moderator I'll turn it over to. Before I do, I do want to thank our partners for today's event, and there are many, and I don't want to forget anyone, so I wrote them down. I want to thank the USC Latino Alumni Association. Thank you. We appreciate that. We appreciate the USC Office of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. I want to thank the USC Price Latinx Student Association. I also want to thank La Casa. And last but not least, the Trojan Democrats, who are also a partner on today's event. Yeah, and with that said, it's my pleasure to turn over the proceedings to our very esteemed moderator, Dr. Maria Romero Morales. Thank you for that warm welcome, and uh, I will introduce our guests in a few minutes, but I just wanted to quickly just add a little bit of background and context in terms of why I'm sitting on this chair moderating today's event. Um, my name is Maria Romero Morales, and my pronouns are she, her, ella. And I am with the Office of uh, Inclusion and Diversity, which is a brand new office here on campus. We have been in existence for about a year and a half. And I focus on student engagement, community, and communications. And so that's a huge platform that I have and, and uh, responsibility that I have before you uh, in, on me. And I'm carrying with me, um, but more importantly, I'm carrying um, the perspective of a triple Trojan. So I went to uh, this campus as an undergrad and sat on your chair probably like 20 years ago, but we won't say um, specifically what <laughs> what year. So I went to Marshall undergrad in, uh, my, um, in business administration is my uh, bachelor's degree. My master's is in public policy. Um, from Price as well, and uh, my master, my doctorate now is in uh, higher education from Rassier. So I've been around this campus for a long time, and my office now is situated in Bovard. And for those of you undergrads who are here, you know the significance of having an office in Bovard. And so for me as an undergrad, that was a huge significance when I would walk by Child's Way and Truesdale and wonder, who are those folks inside that office, behind that window, behind those windows? Who are those folks? Because those folks might be, must be pretty important because they're making some pretty good decisions about what is happening on this campus. 
And so when I came on board about a year and a half ago, and I walked into Bovard and I saw my window, and now is I was now on the other side of that window. Um, I really felt a sense of responsibility um, to you all. And that's why I want to make sure that I'm sharing that story. I purposely, to this day, will take phone calls right in front of the window that faces Tudor Center. So if you're grabbing lunch, you're going to see me standing by that window because I purposely want you to see me in there. I want you to see that there is a woman of color, a Latina, a first-gen a transfer student who has made their journey uh, from all these different pathways into USC and now I'm inside Bovard. It's a huge responsibility, uh, but I want you to know that uh, I recognize, I see you, and I validate your ex experiences here on this campus, and I am incredibly proud to be here before you and moderating this um, this panel. So I will uh, pass it over to our distinguished guests today. Noelia Rodriguez is joining us, and Noelia will be able to provide us a little bit of background, as well as Hector Hernandez will give us um, everything about their journey. And I have some questions that we will uh, walk through, and then we'll open it up for some conversation and questions from the audience. Does that sound Sounds like a deal. All right. So let me hand it over to Noelia. Noelia, do you mind sharing a little bit about your background and why you're excited to be among us today? Absolutely. First of all, I'm very excited to be among all of you. Thank you for the Center for the Political Future for hosting this event and for our many co-hosts and sponsors. What a, what a great day. And I also want to point out that I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. I'm leading a study group this semester at the Center for the Political Future, so I want to have my students who are in my study group raise their hands. We have a study group, and it's, it's called Communications from the East Wing to the West Coast. And we um, have had a great series of speakers, and we're going to continue to have some more for the next few weeks. And it's been such an experience to be a part of the USC family. So just to give you a little background about me, I won't go into great detail because as Maria said, she was here 20 years ago. I probably had, uh, I have a few years on her, so it's, we don't have enough time for this lunch hour to talk about my life. But let me, I had, I'd actually been a fellow at Harvard University about 15 years ago doing the same kind of program. And I loved it so much that I ended up staying and I was the director of the John F. Kennedy Jr. Forum where I got to continue to experience politics, but not from inside the circle, more as a spectator and having a lot of events with heads of state, political leaders, uh, pundits, everybody that you see on television, not everybody, but many of them would show up at the forum and I got to be a part of that world and took what I learned with, from that and now I'm applying it here at USC with the students that we have. So yes, I did work at the White House and we were talking about this in my study group yesterday because we had Gene Becker, who was former President Bush, 41, his chief of staff for the 25 years after he left. He was out of office up until literally the day he passed away. And we were, we were talking about how I don't think any of us ever thought, one day I'm going to be at the White House and I'm going to be working on this. That never happened to me. I had the good fortune of, I think, having a non-traditional, is, is what they used to call it, path to success. I actually went to community college, and then I was a transfer student. And then after I, and I was working full-time while I did all that. And once I got that piece of paper that said that I'm officially smart, then I started getting promoted at the company where I worked. And so I made every, 
I took every opportunity to advance my career, not just because I was self-interested, but because I saw opportunities. And if they weren't there, I created them myself. And so ultimately, in corporate communications, which is where I ended up, I got picked up by the mayor's office to be the press secretary to the mayor of the second largest city in America. Sounds fabulous, but guess what? I had no idea what a press secretary did. No idea. But if the mayor had faith in me, this guy who's the mayor for the second largest city in America, then I better have a little bit more faith in myself. So that's lesson number one, faith in yourself, because that's what is going to drive you, especially now. It's just you have people like Dr. Morales and Hector Hernandez and myself to be here to support you in your studies and in your career so that you can help yourself be more confident and you learn from our experiences. So flash forward to 2001. And I became the press secretary to First Lady Laura Bush at the White House. So what's interesting about that is that um, when I, my last year in Los Angeles, I had been a deputy mayor, and then I was the president and CEO of the host committee for the Democratic Convention. I pretty much grew up in California and had been a lifelong Democrat. So when I got the call from the, the president's team to, to come and interview for this position, I said, I literally laughed. I said, I'm a Democrat from California, and I just worked on this little project called the Democratic Convention. What part of that is going to say, let's hire Noelia? (laughs) Anna laughed, my friend who had called me about this. She had been Barbara Bush's press secretary, and she says, Laura's going to love it, and George is going to love it even more. So the next thing I know, I'm in Austin, Texas, interviewing for this job. 45 minutes later, I'm offered the job. That doesn't usually happen. So, But I think one of the things was that at that point, I had grown enough to have confidence in myself. And it also didn't hurt that I had a Texas connection because I was born in Brownsville, Texas. So I always tell people, my heart's in Los Angeles, but I get my soul from Texas. <laughs> and so that's, that's, that really helped me succeed. And that's where I got to meet Hector Hernandez, and we've become lifelong friends. And he'll tell you a little bit more about himself. But now, flash forward to, to you know, what are we, 2022. And this year, I got to meet Dr. Maria Morales, because in my real life, I'm a chief of staff at Metrolink, and Dr. Morales is on our board. So I am so lucky to know her through that affiliation and now here at USC. So one more thing before I turn it over to Hector. So I was there at the White House with the First Lady on 9-11, which is the biggest, the most pivotal moment in most of our nation's history, most of our histories, personal histories also. And as a result of that, I had been with the administration, I stayed with the administration to the end, through the end of 2003. But on the one year anniversary of 9-11, those of us who had been on the White House team each got this pin. It's a flag and it looks like it's wrong because it's vertical. And so just a little tip, you always, if you're ever going to hang a U.S. flag, the blue is always at the top left corner. So you see it, if it's horizontal, it's on the top left. If it's vertical, it's on the top left. This is a replica of the flag that was hanging at the Pentagon um, after 9-11 when there was still recovery and uh, rescuing going on. So proud moment for me. I was there. have stories to share about that. But for now, I'm going to turn it over to Hector Hernandez. That's a lot right there. Oh, my goodness. Well, let me get the, the thank yous out of the way. First of all, obviously, I want to thank, uh, you know, Kami uh, and the Center for the Political Future, uh, Dr. Morales, and, of course, my Good lifelong friend, uh, Noelia, uh, and, um, of course, the other distinguished guests that, uh, were kind enough to, to show up, uh, for, for today. Uh, but I, I especially want to thank, oh, and also all the people in virtual Zoom world. Hey, hello. <laughs> He's <laughs> talking to his we wife. We haven't forgot you. We know, we, <laughs> we know you don't have any real clothes on. 
that's okay. We want to be comfortable. But I really want to thank all of you for coming. Uh, the, the, to me, the students are are really the the, the main purpose uh, why we're here, and that, and that's because we want to make sure that we uh, not only share experiences and share uh, some of the challenges that we've been through uh, and some of the successes, uh, but we also want to uh, we want to encourage you. I know I want to encourage you. Uh, I know right now there's. Uh, the smaller stuff is on your mind, you know, that test or that one course and those things, those are real. Those are real to you. And, and believe me, we've, we've all been there. Um, but there's a bigger picture that you need to continue to focus on too. And that's going to be, you know, the end result. And that's going to be your, your, your future and how you uh, are not just going to put money in your bank, but how you're going to have uh, an impact on this, um, not only our own country, but po- possibly the world. So that's what I'm here for. I want to make sure that I encourage you. Um, but real quickly, so um, I, uh, again, I always like to say that I, you know, came from a very humble beginning. I was born and raised in El Paso, Texas. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I come from a, a very uh, athletic family. My, my father was a middleweight champion of Mexico in boxing. My oldest brother was a heavyweight champion of boxing in, uh, from Mexico. My other brother, Mondo, and my other brother, Willie, were very accomplished boxers, too, in their own right. Um, I unfortunately, uh, chose to keep the model face. So I, I, <laughs> I did not box, but I did wrestle and, uh, I was, uh, you know, a couple of times city champion in El Paso. I ended up uh, doing well enough to where I got a college scholarship. So I did not. And this is another thing I wanted to add to, uh, you guys are so, so, um, fortunate uh to be at usc i mean my goodness where 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 we come from i mean when you when you hear the word you know you know or the acronym usc i mean that's big time and it is big time so don't diminish it don't forget that what you're doing and where you're at it's a big deal it is a it's a big deal for anybody so so continue to to push forward when you when you become discouraged so i went to a small school uh division three school new mexico highlands university and the big big city of las vegas new mexico not not nevada but yeah (laughs) No slot machines, <laughs> just just an all subs and maybe a Kmart. I don't know. Um, but I was fortunate enough to get a wrestling scholarship there, so I I, um, I attended there. I I, I uh, had a, my bachelor's degree in uh, political science. I ended up staying and I got my master's degree in political science and sociology. Um, and in the meantime, athletically, I was able to win my conference uh, several times, and then my senior year, I was able to win national. So to me, uh, and as a super heavyweight, right? So I know a lot of times people see me now, they're like, well, you know, he's kind of, so did this job stress you down? I said, well, it was a little stressful. So I used to be, you know, six, seven full head of hair and I was Caucasian. So it, <laughs> it has, it has worn me down a little bit, but I'm making a comeback. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, in all seriousness, uh, I was able to get, you know, my degrees came back home and then, uh, I had actually a kind of, uh, a little smorgasbord of, of different jobs. You know, I, I worked as a juvenile probation officer for a little bit while I was waiting, I was applying to law school and then I ended up, uh, going to, uh, to uh, work for the social security administration. My school had submitted my name to a bunch of jobs and they ended up calling me because they needed translators. So, so I'll, uh, a side note real quick. I was just sharing this funny story with, with, uh, with, uh, Dr. Morales and, and Noelia. My first day in Oklahoma, I showed up to the social security administration. And of course, you know, I, I'm, I'm this color normally. I'm, I don't get lighter. <laughs> this is it. This is not but, a summer color. That's right. That's right. So I showed up and uh, my very first day I went to the window and, uh, you know, a nice young lady there. And she said, hi, can I help you? And I said, yes, uh, my name's Hector Hernandez. I think, I think today's my first day. And she said, uh, oh, oh my gosh. And she turned around and she started screaming, Mary, our new Hispanic is here. Our new Hispanic is here. I felt like I was like an Amazon package, you know, like it's finally here. So that was my introduction to like, hey, you are not in El Paso anymore. 
And uh, I suddenly was uh, submerged, emerged into this sea of, you know, about 250 some odd employees that were not me. And so that was kind of my, really my first lesson on how am I going to cope with being different, at least in other people's eyes. Because to me, I was just Hector, but I could obviously see that they did not know anything about the Mexican culture, nothing about El, El Paso, Texas, much less my, my, my first language, which was Spanish. Uh, and then the foods that we eat, things like that. So I really took it as an opportunity to really bestow on them my experiences, my background. So from there, I ended up, uh, I, I helped out. Actually, ironically, Secret Service was in that same building and I helped them with a case and they needed some translation and I ended up getting recruited and I uh, moved to Dallas, Texas. And I, that's why I was sworn in. Yay. <laughs> uh, I was sworn in, um, in February as a special agent with the U.S. Secret Service. Uh, I started my career there. I did about seven to eight years there doing investigations. So in Secret Service, we do counterfeit investigations, uh, credit card fraud, threats to the president, so various investigations. And then at that point, I became senior, and they ended up uh, transferring me to Washington, D.C., where I started my protection phase. And uh, my first president that I was uh, with was President Clinton. So I have m you know, many, many great memories and many stories and experiences from that detail there. I then transitioned into the, you know, President Bush Jr. and Laura Bush that came in, you know, which is that's when Noelia and I crossed paths and we started becoming great, great friends. And, uh, and we have some really great stories that we actually were together. That, in fact, that, that Pentagon story. So the day they hung that flag, I, we were with the president. I was on the, on the shift that day when we went over there as, as they unfolded it and let it down. And they had the big, uh, you know, memorial really for, for the tragedy that had happened. Um, and then, um, and so on and so on. My career continued to, to ascend. You know, I, I, I really worked hard to showcase my skills, uh, my, all, all, all of the skills that, and we'll talk about in, in detail later on, but, you know, all my, my communication skills, my diplomacy skills, my negotiation skills, all of those skills that you probably are working on right now. Uh, uh, were very beneficial for me later on in my career, where if I'm having to go into a city and ask a CEO to take over his building for a week and have him shut down his parking lot, you can't just do that by dictating it. You actually have to massage it and, and, and negotiate and maybe even meet halfway, things like that. So uh, th th those, those skills are, are just uh, something that I'll, I'll never forget. Um, and then after um, uh, I ended up doing all my protection time, I, I, I did get promoted, so on and so forth. I ended up getting uh, into the executive levels. And I kind of, the latter part of my career, I was um, uh, in charge of uh, the vice presidential protection um, with Vice President Pence. And then I was promoted um, at the very end of my career as deputy assistant director for the Office of Training. Half my career was protection and the other half was, was training. So with that, I'm going to turn it back over to uh, Dr. Morales. But I just want to kind of give you a little thumbnail of, of kind of how how I got to be where I'm at, and, 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 and again, very privileged, very honored to be here with you guys today. So thank you. Thank you both. So uh, let, me, let me pose this question to you both. And uh, Noelia, you've, you've already mentioned a little bit of some of that experience, and for you as well, uh, Hector. So Noelia, as the first Mexican-American to ever serve a press secretary uh, to a first lady, and, and Hector, for you, uh, first ever Latino to serve in the vice presidential protection division of the Secret Service. Why were you the first? Can you can you dive into that and let us know what what that meant to you? What does that look like on the job? And I think you've kind of already started to touch on this, but what were some of those experiences around racism that you experienced? Okay. I'll start first. I was 
very uh, fortunate because one of the things that I've learned, I learned long ago in my career, and I talked a little bit about this last night with our study group, is it's so important. And it's if you haven't already started, start today. Start at this event to network. And that is really, you are going to meet people while you're here on campus that you are going to know for the rest of your lives. You may not talk to them all the time, but on occasion, you, these relationships are going to make a difference for you. And so when I was the press secretary for the mayor of Los Angeles, this was in the old days when we literally had paper newspapers that would come to our our offices every morning. And uh, I was quoted very often in the LA Times. And I tried, not as good as Hector Hernandez, but I tried to have a little humor, or used to anyway, in my quotes when it was appropriate, of course. So one day I get a phone call from a woman named Anna Perez. Anna had been Barbara Bush's press secretary. She was the first Latina to have that position. I was the first Mexican-American. But Anna calls me, no idea who she was. And she says, I've been reading your quotes in the paper. I think you're funny. We must meet. So we did. And we had breakfast. And then we kept in touch maybe once a year after that. And the last time I had talked to her was right before the convention in Los Angeles, which I was in charge of. And she called me because, remember, Anna's a big Republican. She said to me, I just want to wish you luck, but not too much luck. And so um, so it was a very successful convention. So flash forward to December when the Supreme Court decided the election and President Bush became the president-elect. Um, Anna called me and she said, I want to recommend, I've been asked by Laura to, identify people to recommend for this position and she says I only want to recommend you and that's when I said really what part of what part of me are they going to say yes to I never thought about the fact that I'm you know Mexican-American or anything like that I really thought about as the political um, atmosphere that we were in at the time and um, she laughed and and you know the rest as I said a few minutes ago is the way it panned out I was very fortunate, and I think as a nation we were very fortunate, because the thing about President Bush and Mrs. Bush, you know, he had been governor in Texas, and so huge, obviously, Latino population there. And as a governor, he had built relationships with um, President Fox, who had been a governor at the same time in Mexico. So I, and in fact, I'm a little bit of a side trip here um, in I think it was 1994 when Prop 87 was a big deal in California as part of the gubernatorial campaign that year. It was anti-immigrant. And uh, I remember, I wasn't even connected in any way to the Bush Bushes when they were uh, in the governor's office, but I remember President Bush saying, or Governor Bush then saying something like, anybody who's willing to walk 500 miles for a job, I want working in my state. And so that was when I thought, okay, what a stark difference between him and what was going on in California. From that perspective, going to work for a Republican, it wasn't going just to work for a Republican, but this Republican. And so going to work for some under, um, the people we dream that we have and the futures that we all deserve. And in fact, a week before 9-11, the president and Mrs. Bush hosted, not even a week, six days before 9-11, the president and Mrs. Bush hosted the first state dinner of their administration, and it was with President Fox. So that tells you a lot about the politics and, you know, the friendship, quite frankly, between our two nations at that point. And so it made me very proud. But I'm going to tell you a little side story related to that, that state dinner. So 
weeks before the state dinner, this goes, the planning is, it, they didn't just decide that September, let's have, you know, the president over for dinner. It takes months to plan for this. So early in the administration, they had planned that this was going to happen in September. And part of that, you know, it's selecting the menu, selecting the table linens, the china, which is a big deal. And the bigger deal, which is talk about diplomacy, is who's going to sit at what table next to whom. And so there's a dry run right before, about a month before the state dinner, and Mrs. Bush invited me to sit in the dry run. So you go into the state dining room where you see the Lincoln portrait hanging, and they have all of the settings for what the state dinner is actually going to look like. So, you know, everything's going well. And then we get to the centerpieces. And the flower shop, that's done by the flower shop. Do you remember the story? The flower shop, they're fabulous team members. There's literally a flower shop at the base of the White House. There's, like, they put flowers every single day throughout the White House. It's like a job I would want in my second life, you know? <laughs> so um, the settings are in honor of the colors green for agriculture and representing the country of Mexico. So you have white hydrangeas, all the greenery, you have green limes, and then you have cascading green grapes and mrs bush looks at me and i look at her and she says something like lose the grapes lose the grapes because obviously it would have created a political reference to grape growers and farm pickers and cesar chavez and it would be not a good diplomatic move something as simple as that was so profound and i was so proud of mrs bush I mean, not that I ever doubted that she wouldn't have this sensitivity, but the fact that she was the one who recognized it told me a lot about Mrs. Bush and the president. So, and recognizing my heritage and the impacts of these symbols, which are so profound. So I think that's just one story that I want to share that I don't think I ever felt from the president and Mrs. Bush any thing but pride that I was a part of their team. You know, just after 9-11 and that first Thanksgiving um, my mother came to visit the White House for the first time. We gave her a tour. At the end, I surprised her by having the president and Mrs. Bush say hello to her on the way out of the diplomatic reception room. And I'll never forget, they had just done a photo shoot with, for the cover of Newsweek magazine. So my, my mom, is, I had purposely had her back to the door. And in comes the president and Mrs. Bush, and the president puts his arm around my mom. And he says, you know, Buenas tardes, Graciela. And, and she looks at him and she says, oh, my God, you're more handsome in person than I would expected, as only a mom could say. And, and, of course, I'm kind of embarrassed, but also proud of my mom. And then he says, typical George Bush says, it's the makeup. <laughs> and so it was just such a proud moment for me that anybody who's going to treat my mom like a queen is good in my book. So at that moment, then he said to Mrs. Bush, Laura, did we invite them to camp for tomorrow? Camp David for Thanksgiving. So we we spent Thanksgiving 2001 at Camp David with the president and Mrs. Bush. I have pictures. Big deal. Big, <laughs> big deal. I never felt like I was out of place with them, thanks to them. They were so fabulous. Maybe in other times in my life, but not not in, not when I was working for Mrs. Bush. Fantastic. Hector, do you want to Sure. Um, so just so you'll know, so staff and Secret Service innately were always arch enemies. Because as she was mentioning earlier, you know, the flowers and the tables, well, from our perspective, when we're on that advance with the staffers, we could care less whether they're green or whether they're blue, whatever. We just care that they don't go boom. (laughs) So we like put them wherever you want. I don't care how big they are, whatever. Just they got to go through that magnetometer. They got to make sure they get swept and things like that. So that's kind of a funny story. But 
So to get to your question, um, I think, um, so in our country, you know, currently, and, and, and I think even back when I was still going through my career, I, I always felt like, you know, sometimes a democracy sometimes is at battle. There, there, there are entities that are truly trying to destroy our democracy. And um, being, you know, Latinos, being Hispanic in this country, I mean, we, we, we are, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, we are democracy. We are what make up democracy in this country. And sometimes, in, you know, I, I uh, felt like always letting people know how I felt. And, you know, during my job, I, I, you, I, you can't do that. You know, that's part of the professional side of, of being an agent. But, you know, we are. We are Americans, too. We just happen to be able to speak Spanish and we happen to have darker skin. But we are just as American. In fact, in some cases, even more so because we we are ultra patriotic. So let me share something with you right now. I, I, I've again, praise God, but I have been able to travel the world several times around because of my job. There is no and I want to make sure that I emphasize this. There is no other place in this entire earth that God created. None better than the United States of America. None. Don't let anybody fool you. Every time I came home from a foreign trip, I was ready to just kiss the ground because this is the best place. As broken as sometimes we seem and, um, and not perfect, it's eons ahead of other places where if you want to protest in other places, go ahead. You better be ready to face those consequences whether it be physical or whether it be emotional or some type of negative um, activity that's going to be directed towards you. Where here, you are free to do that. You're free to speak your mind. You're free to exercise your, um, your constitutional rights. So um, with that said, specifically down to an agency, every government agency is going to have problems with race and discrimination. Every, across the board. But let's be real. Every company... Every state, local, every federal government, every private uh, institution, every nonprofit, every there is always going to be an issue with race. Let's look, let's face it. Even even within our own race, uh, I know there was always uh, the lighter skinned Mexicans that I they, they were always looking down on me because I was the you know hey he's the darker guy you know he can be the menial guy we're going to be the the professionals, and and I used to take that to heart. But it took me a long, long time for me to grow out of that, to realize that, hey, look, this is just this is just skin. And then, coincidentally, I was getting bigger and stronger, so I could kick your butt anyway. But aside from that, um, the true reality was is that it took me a while to understand and to realize that, hey, you know what? I belong to a beautiful people. I do. And we have made so many remarkable historical impacts on this country with music with language, with food, with culture. I can go on and on and on and on. We are, we are a force to be reckoned with, and it all starts with you guys because what you're doing now is you're developing your skills. Yes, you're learning a subject matter, and that's fine. And there may be some of you, just like Noelia mentioned earlier, there's going to be a, you're going to be you know, projected to some other area of career where you're like, wait, I didn't even study that. But, you know, other forces, God is going to force you into another area. And all of the skills that you're learning and all of the networking, that's where it's going to come into play. And wherever you go, wherever you land, that's where you're going to be able to showcase your culture, your background, your upbringing. When I first showed up to the White House, I remember I was so humbled. I mean, when I walked in my very first evening, it, it dawned on me as I, you know, I, I was walking down this hall and I'm thinking, my goodness, you know, Abraham Lincoln, 
John F. Kennedy, you know, President Johnson, like all of these people that I read about when I was a kid and before, they, they walked these hallways. And I had privilege, uh, you know, when you first start, you, you get the golden key. You can open up everything. We were shown everywhere because we had to for security reasons. You just felt so honored, right? And so for me, you know, this little Mexican from El Paso, Texas, and here I am in the White House um, walking around where presidents do, and obviously then where the current president was, um, was just so humbling for me. And so were there times when I felt discriminated against? Sure. But did I let that bog me down? Did I let that uh, bury me? Did I let that steer me away from continuing to push forward? Absolutely not. And the very reason why was because I decided early on that it's too far ahead for me to start saying, oh, I'm going to be a successful this. For, for, for my mind, it was just too much. So what I decided was this. I'm going to be the number one for today. Every day I told myself that. I'd wake up. Today, I'm going to be number one. And that evening when I made it home to my family, hey, I was number one today. And then the next morning I woke up. And that's the way you had to do it. For our careers, we have a very long, I mean, st staff came and went. Presidents come and go. But the United States Secret Service is permanent. We're not going anywhere. And I knew that mine was not a sprint like theirs. M mine is a marathon. And sometimes it felt like a sprint marathon. And so for me, uh, those times that I felt like, huh, I wonder why I didn't get that position. I wonder why I wasn't promoted. I wasn't, wonder why I was not considered for that. I wonder why I didn't get to go to Sweden, but yet they sent me to, you know, Uruguay or Paraguay. I would just basically kept focus on the mission, which was to continue to push forward. Obviously, our job was to protect the president of the United States of America. But more so for, for me, I can't tell you how many times I had, you know, the young Latinos and Latinas, because we have, you know, females, we have, we have uh, African-Americans, we have all types of, of, of folks that, that work within the Secret Service, that they were coming up to me, thanking me, letting me know how proud they were that I was where I was at. And as, as I got higher and higher, they were very, very happy that I was there because I, you know, I happened to be of color. And so to me, that was enough. To me, that was enough incentive and motivation to continue to keep pushing forward. And so right now you're at a stage where, you know, and, and I'm sure that some of you have met, you know, those little obstacles already. Don't worry about it. Just consider it practice because it's not going to stop. There's always going to be people that don't, you know, even our own people, right? There's always going to be that. Don't, don't even give it any energy. Just get your energy and put it into success. You know, doctors don't happen every day. They have to work really, really hard. And you're going to have to work really, really hard. And when you do, the payouts will come. Thank you. That's very inspiring. Noelia, do you want to add a little bit more on that? I want to say one thing. Uh, also is that Hector and I share this, and I th also Dr. Morales does, that, um, yes, we may have been the first. I was the first Mexican-American press secretary to the first lady, probably even. It hasn't been one to the president yet, but that's coming better. <laughs> so we're counting on that to happen. One of you guys will do it, if not, you know, maybe your mom or dad who's out there. But we have such a responsibility, which we take very seriously, that we're not the last Hector's done a lot of that with the training and the promotions that he's had the opportunity to affect in the Secret Service. Um, I've done it throughout my career, and I'm really proud to say, I don't know if you all know, but the new press secretary who just started this week to the First Lady, Jill Biden, 
is a Latina, Vanessa Valdivia. And guess what? Bonus, SC alum, Annenberg. And um, we connected last Friday because, you know, just to give her some tips and from my experience. And don't miss these things because you're so busy doing the, the job that you miss the little things that nobody else in the whole country is going to have the opportunity to do or see or experience. So I, would, I told her, don't miss those little things that other people don't have access to. And I, I mean by that also the other White House staff. So I was really excited to talk to her, and I just want to do a shout-out to her and wish her much success. And um, maybe when she gets her sea legs and has a chance to come back home, she can come and be a speaker at USC. Because, uh, you know, her connection, you know, one degree of separation from the new press secretary to the first lady, and it's me. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. And that's actually a perfect segue. So having had the experiences you both have, I think, Hector, you've, you've kind of touched a little bit on it. What do you think is your role, your responsibility for the next generation, those students who are sitting in front of us and, you know, in many ways to some of the young professionals that are already outside of this campus? How do you see yourself in terms of the work that you're doing and how you're paving that way for the next generation? Um, well, thank you for that question. So, I think that I've been doing that along my, my career, you know, before, before I retired and, and, and since I've been retired, I, I do some different contract work now. However, any and all opportunities, and I don't just wait for opportunities now. I used to just wait for opportunities because I was a little nervous because of, of my job. But now I'm, I was, I'm seeking out opportunities. I'll take any platform, any, any platform where I am going to be able to speak to people um, about our culture and about the opportunities that we should have. And, uh, you know, whether it be private businesses, I was just telling you uh, last night, I was, I was fortunate to, I was at, I was at an event working, but I was able to network with some people that were very high officials and, um, just hearing, they were asking me and hearing my story and, you know, they were, they were very, very impressed. Now, when you share your stories, cause each and every one of you has got an impressive story. I know, I know I've met plenty of people all over the country and I know each and every one of you, you've got some really, really great stories to tell. Stories aren't enough. It's all about preparing yourself, right? Because that, that does not sell. That does not get you the next step. So, you know, Dr. Morales could be charming all day long. She still had to turn in that d dissertation and she still had to defend it, right? I, I, I could be funny all day long. I really can't be funny all day long. <laughs> but at some point, I got to produce, right? Same with Noelia. I mean, hey, listen, she's going to be, hey, Noelia will get it done. But that, that's her reputation, right? You got to back it up. So, you know, continue to, to, uh, to again, focus on that, on building your, it's what Noelia said earlier, right? Which was, you have to really build yourself up. You really have to concentrate on you. Uh, of course, you know, help your fellow, you know, students, but for, for yourself, prepare yourself. Uh, if I think about sports and let's just say NFL, if, if one player, all he did was help the other guy, and never worked on his own skills, well, he's not going to do very well. He's going to end up getting cut, and the other guy's going to end up becoming, you know, rich and famous. So you got to just continue to work your mind, continue to learn, continue to push yourself, continue to work on skill sets that you know for the future are going to be good for you. So, Noelia? Really quickly, um, in terms of preparing yourselves, seek out mentors who are going to be there to guide you. And I, I'll tell you from my experience, when I was, you know, a little older than your age and in the workforce, there was nobody 
who look like me or Dr. Morales or Hector around for me to say, hey, Hector, how did you do it? What tips could you give me? They just didn't exist. And so I didn't say, well, I'm not going to be able to get a mentor. But what I had the good fortune of having was a supervisor at the time. His name is Don Sedan, and I actually, he's in his 80s now, and um, which he's probably very proud of. I actually called him a couple of weeks ago to tell him what I'm up to. He was incredibly proud. But at the time when I, when I, you know, he was supporting my career, he was a middle-aged white guy. And now he's an old white guy, but he was still a, a white man. And he saw something in me, and he took the time to give me advice, help me learn from my experiences, totally just be my cheerleader. And he told me, he reminded me a couple of weeks ago that uh, one of the proudest moments, if not the proudest moment that he ever had professionally was when the FBI came knocking on his door when I was, when I was having my background check done for the White House. He, they wanted to talk to him about my personality, my weaknesses, where are my vulnerabilities as an American, am I possibly weak to, um, you know, being, what's the word I'm looking for if somebody comes to national, national security issues. And he, like, this FBI agent came into Don's house, and Don just went on and on about fabulous human being I was, how great my early days were, how hardworking I was, how dedicated I was to whatever organization I was, you know, working for. And so that's my mentor experience. Yours is going to be different than that, but it's going to be even more valuable because it's going to be about you and your careers and help you get to whatever it is you want to do, even if it's not something that you even imagine for yourself at this moment in time. American democracy has reached a moment of existential uncertainty with problems bigger than any one administration or headline. My name is James Walner, and I host the podcast Politics in Question with Lee Drutman and Julia Azari. On our show, we discuss how our political institutions are failing us, and we consider different ideas for fixing them. If you like this episode, you might enjoy Politics in Question. You can find that episode and the rest of our show on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and at our website, politicsinquestion.com. We have a few minutes left, and I know some of you are getting ready to go on to your next class. So we wanted to open up uh, this opportunity. If you have any questions, any thoughts, any uh, sharing on your own that you would like us to consider, don't be shy. It's not the time to be shy, guys. It's not the time. Anything, any question. Yes, ma'am. Can you repeat the question? Will you repeat it? Yeah, so she's asking, at, at what point did we feel like we had really made it and we really accomplished it. So I'm going to be real honest with you. I don't feel I'm there yet. I feel like I've finished that great chapter of my life. And you'll have to excuse, excuse me if I get emotional, but I still have so much more to give. And I have, you know, to you guys, because you guys are the next generation. I've got two kids. My daughter's 25, my son's 23. And, you know, this generation, you guys get slammed in the news. You guys get slammed in social media that you guys are the generation that just... Uh, Listen, you guys can be as powerful as you want to be. And, and I think that's, that's what I'm still looking forward to. So as far as have I made it yet, I, I, I don't want to say yes because I'm not done yet. And again, great chapter in my life. You know, a lot of great accomplishments, a lot of great stories that I can sit here and tell you all day long about South Korea, about Egypt, about you name it, uh, about Afghanistan, you name it. But 
I think that there's something else that, you know, that my Lord and Savior has saved me for, and that's to, to still continue to give. And, 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 and that's maybe the day that I take my last breath is going to be where I can, you know, huff out, you know, okay, I made it. Uh, but real quick, I just want to make sure I share this. So there's, there's a book I read. I, I'll, I'll save you the title. But he, he envisioned passing away, and he's in heaven. And he's sitting across from God. And God looks at him and says, well, okay, here's your file. And he takes the file and he looks at it and he says, okay. He opens it up and he starts to look through the file and he hands it back to God. And he says, hey, I, I think this is wrong. This isn't me. I mean, this one says, you know, all of these things, you know, doctor and cure cancer, all these different things. And God took it back and he opened it back up and he said, it, it is you. It's the person you were supposed to be when you were on earth. And that, when I heard it, when I read it, really made an impact on me because I think each and every one of us, there's something that, um, that way bigger that we are supposed to accomplish. Again, adopt, that is huge, but there's nowhere near, she's nowhere near of what she's going to do. When she's done building up that department, at the time when she leaves, it, it, it's going to be something where people will look at like, holy smoke, built this, right? And then when she's moving on to some other endeavor, right? When Noelia's done with whatever she's going to be doing, and it's like, whoa, how, how was this created? That, that's how. And so I can't say that I'm done yet because I want to make sure that um, that as soon as, as soon as, because if I do, then I feel like that I'm going to just relax and put it back in second gear, and I don't want to do that. I want to continue to push forward. I want to continue to push forward. I want to continue to succeed. And success can be defined in many different ways. It, and remember this, please. It's not about this. Don't seek just for money. Public service, if you decide to go into government, is a very, very, very rewarding career path. It really is. You can affect some change. You may not be able to, I've mentioned this to an earlier, you may not be able to change the world because it's too daunting to think about that. And you, you think about changing the country. Don't think about that. Think about and concentrate on affecting the pocket of excellence that you're around. So for right now, it's your class. And maybe your, you know, the little city you live in or whatever. Those are your little pockets of excellence where you actually really directly matter. Meaning in the future you run for Congress uh, or, or, you know, some kind of city councilman, something like that. Those are your little pockets of excellence where you can truly, truly make a difference. And then it can grow from there. And if each and every one of you does that, then think about it. All those pockets become one gigantic movement. And the next thing you know, the world is different. The world is better. The world has changed. So, ditto. <laughs> no, but you know, you were so right, Hector. I mean, I even in the positions that I've had, uh, there are times that I say, "Wow, I have." I'm, you know, I literally feel like I've been a failure at some things, and I haven't done enough. Gosh, I could have done more. It, not that I'm done, because by no stretch am I done. But I'm talking about in that moment. In that experience, I could have done more. And I used to get out on myself on that, but then I realized, wait, that's a good thing because I, it, it just pushes you to recognize what is going to be next for you and to, it makes you a better person so that you are open to whatever is coming up next. Don't ever think that you've arrived. And as a result, you know, I, I, you know, it's like, where's that? There's something, I think it's GPS where it says, you've arrived. No, I haven't. I don't see what I'm looking for here. Uh, that's a metaphor for my life. I, I don't see what I'm looking for here, so I'm going to keep looking. This is There's something better. There's something higher. There's something more purpose, purposeful. 
the fact that I'm here as a fellow makes me feel so good about myself. It just has inspired me and energized me in ways that you can't believe because I just get so much energy from the students and I see so much ahead for every one of you. And the fact that I could be a part of that little experience in your life makes me feel really good about myself. Thank you. Thank you both. Uh, any other questions up there? Oh, we have two. Go ahead. Hi, my name is Tammy. I'm a Filipina junior at St. Thomas High, and I'm a business online there. And I was just kind of wondering, with your positions, you guys have always um, you have to speak up about like what your path is, what your opinions are um, for the most part, take for you know being the press secretary or being head of security. Has there ever been like um, an instance in which your opinions were blown off or you were undercut purely because of your race or your gender? When did that happen? How did you handle that? And then how did you regroup and say, you know what, I know what I'm doing, I know what I'm capable of, and this is why you should respect me and why I deserve your respect and why I should be taken seriously? So, Don't you understand? <laughs> so did everybody hear the question, the advice that we've given? So yes, that has happened, believe me. Especially as a press secretary, you know, you, 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 you do your homework, you prepare, you role play with the mayor or the first lady to prepare for, for something. And then once the lights, camera, action is on, it's out of your hands. And whatever happens, happens. And then sometimes you have to, dam to do damage control. I didn't really have to do that with the first lady, but with the mayor, I find myself saying what he meant to say was, <laughs> and and he was always, you know, he thought he was as funny as Hector Hernandez, but he wasn't, and so he would say things that probably got him in trouble more than he should have. But what I was going to say on top of that is there definitely are times when I will, I, I consider myself, one of the things that I could do really well, I believe, there might be somebody who argues that point, is that I'm, I'm confident to give unvarnished um, advice to the person I work for because it, I do it from all of my experiences before I got to whatever position I'm in. And I look at the landscape and say, you know, think about this or you might want to not do that. And it's up to them to take the advice. Whether or not they do, it's up to them. They're the decision makers. But if I don't provide the advice, then I have been you know, remiss in my obligation, then, you know, I just have that confidence to do that. Yes, I mean, my own family is afraid of my advice, but they'll do it because they, they're like, I'm the Hector in my family. They'll do it. But but that doesn't mean you're wrong. It just, you, you have to learn to let go and say, okay, I get it. You want to do it? You're in charge and good luck with that. <laughs> so it's a great question. This is the reason why I wanted to touch on this real quick. So that question right there, a lot of you are going to be hearing in a job interview. Uh, right after I retired, I was, uh, you know, being called for a couple of job interviews and repeatedly. And, and obviously, when I'm um, interviewing people for our, those positions, because they want to know how you handle rejection, they want to know whether you're a hothead, whether you're whether you get discombobulated, whether you are unreasonable, whether you can't negotiate. Right. So it's so keep that question in mind. How are you going to develop? Your skills, so where if you're getting a no, and a consistent no, 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 with your ideas and with your suggestions and with your observations, it can be daunting, but uh, there's a point where you start to learn how to sell it. And that, I, so in our job, uh, when I was with Secret Service, so again, we were, staff and, and security were in a, 
enemies. And I don't know how many times I got no's, right? Because so, for example, if the president were coming into this building, right, and he was going to attend this luncheon, they would be arguing that, hey, no, we want to bring him in the front. We're like, absolutely not. We're going to bring him in the loading dock area. No, we want him in because the pre- – absolutely not, right? And, and it was always a, a, you know, yes and no, yes and no, and always rejections. Right? That's that's kind of more m- micro. But at the bigger – at a bigger level, when I actually got to be more on the executive level, there were bigger issues, that, budgetary questions. Hey, sir, I, we, you know, we'd like to submit umpteen million dollars for this, you know. And, and it's, it, I learned that it was all about presentation and it was all about how to justify, right, justification. You can't just come in there and go, hey, sir, do you think we can get $1.2 million for some new weights? <laughs> no, didn't we just get, well, okay, why don't you elaborate on that? Well, sir, what we're doing is we've done a year's worth of piloting and research, and now we feel that CrossFit is going to be the up-and-coming future of physical fitness for people. So what we're going to do is we're going to invest money in these new types of uh, technologies and these new types of equipment, in order, and we're going to need $1.2 million, and this is how it's going to break, and we, and we can, you know, and we can phase it in this. Oh, okay, well, then that's different. So you don't need the one point right away. No, no, so if you give us, you know, 100000 here, then 200000 there. That. So it's all about negotiation, right? So, so to get to your... To answer your question, yes, I mean there was plenty of times when we all got no's. I mean, and they so believe they got no's at the highest level where the president would say, "Absolutely not! I'm gonna, I'm not gonna wear a red suit. What's wrong with you people, right?" Well, again, well, we we don't care if it's pink as long as somebody made sure there was no bombs in it. Right? <laughs> so it's kind of easy for us. But uh, anyway, so hopefully that answers your question. That, yeah, thank you. And I think we have time for one more question. enemy that we got to deal with, right? And those are, I don't have to tell you the two big countries that we need to worry about. You know, we need to unite. Now, we earlier, uh, before, when we were uh, with Rami and, and Maria earlier, we were talking about, you know, 9-11 and, you know, for me, Oklahoma City, which, you know, I was participating in, in, in that particular cleanup job. The country came together on those two occasions, uh, of course, other occasions, but on those two particular occasions, nobody was Democrat, nobody was Republican, nobody was, and there was no black, no white. Everybody was red, white, and blue American. And, you know, but unfortunately, as those events start to fade away, so does the the patriotism. So, so does that flavor, right? It suddenly we're all now back to being brown and over there, right? So, again, I, for me personally, I feel that 
we need to continue to energize ourselves to continue. So back to that pocket of excellence, right? I mean, you, you know what's wrong. So let me ask you this question. Let me turn it on you. What have you done to change it? You see what I'm saying? Because it's quick to, to see a problem like, oh, man, that, that's a huge issue. That's, a, that's bad. Okay, well, do you have any suggestions? I just know that's bad. So, so that's what I'm saying. And I'm not trying to put you on the spot. What I'm saying is that I think collectively those neat issues need to be brought up and they need to be discussed in, 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 a, in a relevant forum so you can get collective minds to be able to solve those problems. Patriotism is a tough one. But I think if we continue to, as, as we get more and more Latinos educated, so listen, I was just talking about this the other day. Mexican-Americans make up the largest Hispanic group in the country, right? Cuban-Americans, they're one of the smallest ones, but they're the most highest successful in high school graduations, college graduations, and in professional positions, doctors, lawyers, engineers. So why, why is that? People ask all the time, why is that? Well, I don't know the full answer. All I know is that, hey, we got to change that. As, as, as the, as the Mexican-American communities, we need to continue to endorse candidates, uh, anybody that's going to be in positions of color, Latinos, that are going to be able to help. You know, it all starts from when we're a little bitty. I mean, listen, a lot of my educational faults are from when I was really small where teachers didn't pay attention to me. You know, I'm not going to point to that issue, but holy smokes, I mean, I was, I was getting ignored. And uh, now, could I have done something about it? I should have, but I, mean, I was a little kid. So we, as a collective body, can do, we can change that. We just need to make sure that we put people in place that know what they're doing and that are going to be willing to make those changes. You know, school board members, uh, mayors, senators at the state level, senators and congressmen at the federal level, those people, you want to make sure... You know, <laughs> You know, there, there's some politicians that have come out from where I'm from, El Paso, Texas, you know, where, I mean, they're passionate about making those changes. And I think you know what I'm talking about. I mean, they're very passionate about that. And they're doing things about it. My, one of my weak areas was writing. And I would encourage you that if, the, if whatever weak areas you have, work on those. Strengthen them. Because I think if I had been a stronger writer, when you say the word policy to me, my head hurts. But now since I've been through my career, I realize policy is everything sometimes. Because that's where the changes come. Funding, um, uh, you know, just you can go down the, the, the you know, a, a plethora of, of, of lists of, of where policy makes, uh, what it affects a community. It affects a community. A policy could ruin a community. So I think if you recognize some areas, I think what's going to, you're going to end up finding is you're going to find people rallying and it's going to reignite that patriotism. Because, man, I'm telling you, America is the greatest place in the world. Whatever color we are, this is still the greatest place in the world. But the difference is that we need to make sure that, you know, when we feel down, no, no, we, we got to make sure that we're included in that. We are, we are red, white, and blue, too. And I'd be remiss if I didn't add to that why we're all here today, the Center for the Political Future. It, you know, it, it really is inspirational to me, again, when I got into politics in the 90s, there was this thing called bipartisanship. And the, the elected officials in Los Angeles, there was no D or R next to them. Still not, but we all know that where they all lie. Um, and, and so and I got to work with President Clinton, Mayor Daley, Mayor Giuliani, when it was 
Mayor Giuliani early, Mayor Giuliani, and, and, and Mayor Reardon, and we did things on behalf of the country together in a bipartisan way. And then over the years, that's, you know, for the reasons that Hector articulated, we have gotten away from that. And now the responsibility is, quite frankly, up to your generation to pivot back so that we have at least a modicum of civility among our elected officials and our public officials, because this is not the norm. This is not what America, what you're seeing now is not what America is about. Hector traveled around the world many times. I got to go Air Force One to 35 different countries, and I was always, always, always amazed when we'd be at a restaurant talking to waiters or busboys. Obviously, they knew we were with the delegation, or we were in a, in a cab. They would recite to us about the history of America better than we knew it. We are the magnet for the world. People admire the United States. They believe that we are so lucky to be a part of this country and to be American, they want to even visit, let alone even think about living here, they would love to visit our country because they admire us so much. I would like for us to have that same pride and attraction and uh, unity that they would have for us. I just think, that, you know, Baklav Havel, who was the late president of the Czech Republic, said, democracy is hard. It is. I had the opportunity to meet him, and I just was in awe of this man who had been imprisoned and then was became the president. And it, he's still right. It's so simple. Democracy is hard, but you each have one piece of the puzzle to make it great. And that's what I would implore you to do because we're counting. Big, big, guys. Big, big. big. Thank you all so much for the questions. Thank you both to Hector and Noelia for joining us today and, and gracing us with your experiences. I want to just close it up and say thank you to the Center of Political Future. Sorry, my, my mouth is getting a little dry here. Thank you all for taking the time to come and join us today. This is an amazing conversation that clearly needs to... To, we need to dive into this conversation even deeper. We have an entire month that we're celebrating uh, Latinx Heritage Month here on campus, and we're really proud that we get to put these programs together to recognize the accomplishments of our community, um, our Latinx heritage, and to have a space here on campus that would allow us to bring in all of these gifts that we all bring together. And as Noelia closed it up so nicely, we are all in this together, and we need to bring in all these ideas so that we together can move this country forward. Thank you all for being here, and again, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for joining us on The Bully Pulpit. It helps us a lot when you subscribe and rate the show five stars wherever you get your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at USC P-O-L Future, that's USC P-O-L Future. Follow us on Facebook and YouTube and visit our website for upcoming programs. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. 